Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. It was somebody who was saying, I see the potential in you, which feels so good. I mean, you do that for so many people, but I know people have done that for you as well. And that's exactly how I feel in this career. Like my networking is also what's going to make me good at this job. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world And one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn. And remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. LinkedIn presents. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. Been to over 100 countries. So excited to share with you our next guest, Shannon. Hi, friend. So wonderful to be here. Honestly, I'm honored. How do you feel? Guest number two back in the studio? I mean, you've had some amazing guest hosts, and I've loved all those episodes, but nobody can replace the real you. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to get into all things you. So first of all, go ahead, share a little bit of who you are and introduce yourself, and let's get into the SoCal Tech Monthly. Yeah. I've gone to them, but SoCal (laughs) Tech Monthly. So, But before we get into that, Tell us who you are and what you do. Yes. uh, So my name is Shannon McCarty. I am a practice director for a boutique agency based out of the Bay called RJR Partners. And we place all go-to-market functions for SaaS companies, generally uh, early stage startups. And um, so I am a sales recruiter. I place um, enterprise and strategic software salespeople for our clients. Um, I'm fairly new to tech, as you know, and uh, I spent 20 years in television production prior to pivoting into tech. So the enterprise and strategic software sales space, specifically in the SaaS companies, uh, specifically for SaaS companies, is very male dominated, as is most of tech. And, you know, in television, I was always committed to diversity of all kinds and then come to work in tech where women are diversity, um, where it's not just about, you know, different uh, classes or ethnicities or, you know, uh, sexual orientations, whatever it might be. Women are very hard to find, specifically in SaaS companies. But half of my placements in uh, the last year for strategic and um, enterprise sales positions were women. And it's basically unheard of. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's unheard of? Like, what are you doing differently 
I don't like when people tell you like, oh, go buy the metrics. So, you know, because I started, you know, with no contacts, basically, I was reaching out to people on LinkedIn and LinkedIn will tell you, oh, okay, if you're going to inmail somebody, if you're going to cold email them, basically, you should do it with 300 characters. Well, if you've been an enterprise or strategic salesperson, you've been doing this at minimum five years, but most likely 10 to 15 years. Yeah. 300 characters? I mean, what are you going to get out of that? That's like two tweets. So how can I hook somebody in? And I don't even want to hook anybody in, but I want to give them information. I I want them to be informed to be able to get back to me with a lot of information. So my in-mails are a thousand characters long, which basically LinkedIn says is absolutely wrong. You know, there's literally no way that I should have the reply numbers that I should have based on the number of characters in my in-mails. Exactly. The metrics. And maybe it's just because I, I'm new to this industry. I don't care about the metrics because I've proven that it's not correct for me. But I also feel like women like more information. And I'm giving them all the information, not all of it, but a good amount enough to be like, are you interested in getting on the phone with me? Um, can I tell you a little bit more about this? Also, once I do a candidate call that's like the first meet and greet call, I follow up with a very, very detailed email of a lot of information that I apparently no other recruiters are doing. But I was like, why would you want to engage in an interview cycle when your time is valuable if you don't know what the heck is going on? And so I spend time to have a very detailed follow up. And then if I haven't heard from you in a couple of days, hey, what's going on? You know, and I basically say to them, like, if you, you know, once I decide that they're right for this position, I also have really high standards. And if people are unwilling to answer my questions or being shady about it, you're not for this role and it's fine. But let me know how I can help you in another situation. But it doesn't look like you've been a little successful in a while, you know. So I think maybe all my years in television have sort of proved to, you know, you just got to be upfront. Salespeople know if they've not been successful. Maybe, you know, there's certain circumstances where you can say, okay, this is what happened and that's why they couldn't hit their numbers. But I redo everybody's resume. And if they're unwilling to put their own success metrics in their resume, guess what? They're full of it. And I probably don't want to represent them. Mm. So first of all, I think my bullshit detector is pretty high because I dealt with reality TV people for (laughs) a long time (laughs) and I've interviewed like almost a million people. But secondly, I basically become somebody's hype person. And I try to become their best friend. I have a candidate right now. We talk almost every day. I adore her. She lives in San Francisco and we talk about how we can't wait to meet in person. And that's how I feel about my candidates. And I'm not looking out for female candidates, but I think what I am projecting and what I am putting out there, female candidates are responding to that. And I want to be their champion. Now, listen, half of my can- half, of, half of my place candidates were also men. I like dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's wonderful. Yeah. But also the dudes that are responding to me are not hasty people who feel like, oh, my God, there's too many words. I can't read it. Yeah. TLDR. <laughs> right. You know, where it's like, I want someone who's also going to read all the information that I give to them. And yeah. I think that I am... I sort of um, reject the sort of sales bro-ness of it all. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. There is a place for sales bros in enterprise sales. Absolutely. And I'm sure they do well. They're just not my people. Yeah. I'm not attracting to them and and they're not attracted to me. And great. It's so important to like become okay with fostering who our people are. I know sometimes it's like I, I wish everybody would like me rather than just like understanding. Like I like to be around collaborative heart-driven people like those are my people and so if someone's not collaborative and heart-driven it's okay if that just doesn't mesh with me I'm not a transactional person if it's a transactional brand or a transactional person it's just I'm not it's just not my vibe yeah 
What advice can you give us about how to improve our resume? Oh, so much. People's resumes are a hot mess. Tell me. Even the people that I'm talking to have been in this business for a long time. First of all, you do not need to have a resume longer than two pages. You can get it in. Let's work with the margins. Um, do not pull your put your full address, specifically if you're a woman, but literally anybody. Yeah. Um, don't put your full address. Your city and state is fine. Uh, hyperlink your LinkedIn link and have your LinkedIn link, you know, whatever's on your LinkedIn profile match your resume because it shows you're detail oriented. And then I think there was like a thing about like five years ago where it was just like very word heavy. I call that a word salad. No word salad. (sighs) Like if there is one entire sentence where there's nothing that actually shows that anything that's action driven or outcome driven, delete it. I am uninterested. Like, you know, specifically sales, but I would say everything is outcome and action driven. There can be maybe under each segment of your work history, one line about responsibilities because that's important. People know your vertical. People know your segment. People know, you know, who you're reaching out to, who your buyer persona is, if it's a salesperson, whatever it is. And then and then show action driven stuff. And and then anything that's just like if you read a bullet and I've learned nothing about you and it's not special, delete it. Yeah, it's not necessary. Yeah. And oh, God, I hate charts. I hate just like lists of random skills um, you know, and and I hate when people put that at the top because that's valuable, valuable, uh, you know, location, yeah, real estate there on your resume. Yeah. So if you do want to put a list because you want an ATS to be able to search your skills, put that at the bottom. Yeah. Put your education at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Education at the bottom. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Education at the bottom. And then have some personality in there. So, yeah, no flow charts, none of this. Do not pay resume writers. I hate anytime I look at somebody's resume writer and it's too floofy. I'm like, did you pay somebody to do this? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. That was a waste of money. Don't do it. There are so many easy, easy templates online. Or if you need one, email me and I yeah. will send you one. I have ones that I love. Share your email again. Yeah. So my email is Shannon at uh, S-H-A-N-N-O-N at RJRpartners.com. I will happily send you an email template or work with you on yours. I hate bad resumes. And just for clarity, would you be charging? Um, Good point. I think if you're a salesperson, no, because you're in my network. If not, you know, maybe a small fee or whatever. Or, you know, I'll send you a template. You figure it out. Send it back. I'll give you some pointers. That's fine. You know what okay. I mean? But if I'm doing the hard lifting, yeah. I'll just respect your it. time. Yeah, yeah, If no. it takes your time, if it becomes like a consulting call, yeah, it's a different situation. If it's a quick, like friendly, hey, hey, yeah, here's a template, then it's okay. Yeah, yeah. and I'd be happy to look it over and be like, bing, boom, bomb, change this, yeah. you know. But if you are looking at your own resume and you're bored to tears and you have no idea what you have previously done, that's on you. You know, it's a competitive market right now and you need to stand out. But that isn't by making your resume some fancy deck. Now, if you are in marketing or you're in design, yes, do the flow charts, do all of those. But if you're in a scenario where you are a founder or you are a salesperson, it is all about the revenue and make that happen. Or if you are a creator of some sort, you know what I mean? With you personally. I mean, how many events did you do over the summer? over 23 right like if somebody (laughs) if somebody says that they're an event person it's going to be a lot more impressive to say i produced 23 events in the span of six weeks yeah 
than it is to say I plan some events. I mean, it was five weeks. But, you know, there you go. Even, even more impressive. It was five weeks. Like, but around. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. That you 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 show the impact there by impressive or insane, Janet. <laughs> you you did you did push yourself to the brink of of exhaustion. But, but no, yeah, I totally agree. Somebody knows what you're capable. How of. about video resumes? I think that's becoming more and more popular now. Still have the traditional resume, but. Uh, especially for for salespeople, really anybody right now, there are so many opportunities to film yourself yeah. and have a little intro. You can do that in your profile picture on LinkedIn. So people click on that and you have a little intro. Or if there is somebody you're going after, we are like, if I want to work for Esprit, we are LA Tech, I can send her a little video introducing her, you know, yeah. to me. And I can tell her, first of all, why I admire her, why I think it'd be good for this job. And then she can feel my essence. Yeah. Um, I don't think that is imperative. I don't think that's mandatory, but it is another toolkit. And what you can do is you can hyperlink that on your resume yeah. and just have a generic one, but then follow up and send uh, you know, a specific one to someone who you're super duper targeting. Some women feel that they need to compete with men in order to get a job. Do you feel that there's something that they could do in their resume that will enhance their shine so they'll take the, I guess, attention away from feeling that they're competing or that scarcity base? Like, how do they, how do they move away from a scarcity base per perspective, regardless of it's true or not? That's another story. But it doesn't serve us to be scarcity based. So how do we move away from that scarcity based perspective and have a more abundant perspective in and enhance our shine on our resume. Surround yourself with badass women. Yes, in the tech world, there are few of us, uh, fewer of us than there are men. However, they're collecting and they're community and they're working for each other. I spoke to a candidate today that said, I only want to work for a company who has a revenue leader that is a, a female. Because she's only worked for managers that are male. And yeah. she has every right to wish that. Yeah. And so I sent her a, a big old list of all of these communities that are uh, happening in, in tech right now. Yeah. Mostly mine are, are sort of sales-based. But Women in Sales has a LinkedIn a hap, like and a Slack channel yeah. that is like so, you know, so supportive. Yeah. Um, Sam Sales, um, Sam McKenna has an amazing women empowerment leadership Zoom every month. Right. There's just a lot of opportunities for women to help women. And if you ingratiate yourself into a community where there is women, they will collect. Yeah. You know, and but it's also fine. Almost everybody that I talk to, I say, oh, are there other women at your organization? The answer is no. And that is mm. fine. You know, obviously, I would not that like I would wish that is not true, but you don't have to compete. There are so many things in my career that I feel like was a benefit to me being a woman and having a different point of view. Yeah. Even though the majority of my mentors in television were male, my first one said, don't try to interview like me. And I was. I was trying to interview like him. And yeah. it wasn't working out because guess what? I wasn't a bearded man in my 30s. I was yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, I was 22. And I did, you know, and I wasn't being able to get the kind of interviews that he could. Yeah. And first of all, I'm so grateful that he told me that. But also look for mentors in all different yeah. situations. Yeah. Female, male, you know, everything in between. Because, But if you want to be surrounded by more women in your industry, start networking. They're yeah. there. Yeah. And they're powerful. Yeah. And you worked with some 
crazy shows that we all love in the business world. What are some of the shows that you've casted for? Yes. So I was a casting director in Unscripted Television. So uh, Unscripted is a fancy way of saying reality TV. (laughs) And I worked on The Biggest Loser. I worked on um, Super Nanny. I worked on a Netflix show called Nailed It and The Circle. Uh, I also cast 10 seasons of The Real World on MTV and The Apprentice um, and uh, with Donald Trump and Martha Stewart before it was celebrities. It was everyday people. So no actors. It was always unscripted, you know, everyday people. And then I did some producing as well. I produced two, two seasons of Undercover Boss. And I also worked on a show called Declassified, where we told the stories of men and women who worked in intelligence communities. So, so like FBI, CIA, stuff like that. So I did a little bit of everything. And now and now you have placed some of the best tech talent with the most amazing tech companies, which we'll get into. But before we do, I think there's some people out there just like a fun question. <laughs> and you, you, I'm sure you don't see this one coming, but a fun question. There's so many people who are like, what if I created a TV show or can I create? What would it take for someone to create a TV show about their startup or these different questions that, or for them to get booked on The Apprentice? Like what is a little insider tidbit that they could have fun with. Well, I mean, I think the beauty about Unscripted is that, well, a lot of Unscripted, the the shows that I tried to work on were definitely from a documentary point of view. Obviously, there's a lot of quote unquote Unscripted that's pretty uh, heavily produced. But what I always looked for in a good cast member for a documentary series or an Unscripted series was uh, empathy, first of all, and being in touch with one's own emotions and being a good storyteller. Yeah. Um, So it's a little bit of everything. Obviously, good personality. Extroverts do well, um, which is why it's been easy to sort of translate into talking to reality folks and then now talking to salespeople because I think most salespeople would be excellent on reality shows in terms of personality. But it's about having an authenticity that people can relate to and are interesting. Um, So The Real World, for example, that was probably the hardest show to get on. Just I mean, I think it was if you got cast on the real world, it was harder than getting into all of the Ivy Leagues all at once What? Uh, because of the amount of people who would apply for it versus the seven wow. or eight people, depending on the season, who are actually on. Wow. And with that show, like there's nothing moving along the story other than these people's phenomenal personalities and ability to connect with one another and an ability to also say what's happening with them. So yeah. if you have a crush, are you actually verbalizing that? Yeah. If you are annoyed with somebody, are you verbalizing that? If you're sad, can you verbalize that? Yeah. If you're angry, all of those things. Like It's one thing to have all those emotions, but to actually feel them and then feel comfortable sharing that and you know, essentially like moving along story, even though there's nothing moving along. So yeah. a lot of shows, for example, like um, Survivor, there is a challenge that is going to move along the story. So yeah. even though Survivor has amazing cast members who could probably be on any other show. But the beauty of that show is that the challenge will move along the story. Whereas the real world, there's literally no story unless you have really fascinating people. And I see the correlation with salespeople too, because they're they're storytellers. Yeah. And um, so it's been fun to make the pivot. But if you want your own show, just be honestly like so tapped in, so authentic and tell a story that nobody's told before. I mean, at this point, there's so many different reality shows. There's yeah. a reality show about, you know, swamp people. There's a reality yeah. show about people making swords. You yeah. know, I mean, there's so many different things. It's so niche right yeah. now. But also there's also so many creators. Yeah. You know, so you don't have to have your own reality show to be a creator. One last question on, I guess, casting for the business shows that you've done. Yeah. Relating to business, is there something that you've seen that indicates someone will be successful in business on the show? 
So not like as an actress, but like yeah. literally, do you see a trait that you're like, I think these people will do well as a contestant? I think passion. So um, while I have conflicting feelings about working with Donald Trump on The Apprentice, what I loved about that show was I got to interview really passionate entrepreneurs, yeah. salespeople, you know, people who worked at companies, but they were successful. And yeah. it was all because of passion. They're driven. They're smart. They're interesting. They're good storytellers. Yeah. You weren't surprised that they did well. And same with Undercover Boss. You know, when we yeah. would talk to the bosses, it was um it was inspiring to see that level of competency. Yeah. Uh, versus some of maybe the other shows that I work on, you know, it was just like about fun personalities. Hey, totally. and that's that's something too. Actually, somebody from a real world that I worked on ended up being on Undercover Boss that I worked on later. So, oh, yes. Oh, wow. Um, Coley for Bolero. Uh, it was my first season of Real World that I worked on. And and to be able to see her now be a boss at Bolero yeah. was kind of a, a phenomenal trajectory. But she did great. And she is a phenomenal businesswoman. So, it's it's absolutely there. It's the story you tell about yourselves and yeah. whatever it else you're you're selling or working on or whatever it is. And that translates. And speaking of transitioning shows, you transitioned careers. You left the casting world at working on these iconic shows and you went into the tech world not knowing anything about the tech world, going to now producing one of the most I, I legitimately think it's one of the most popular tech meetups in L.A. So talk about that transition. Why, one, did you decide to go into the tech world? What was that like? And how did we get to where we are now with SoCal Tech Monthly? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. I think a lot of this has spurned on from meeting you. And I do feel like I was meant to meet you, learn from you and get inspired by oh. you. Um, I, we did meet, though, after you had made the career pivot. This is true. Yes. <laughs> so I was six months into the career pivot when I met you, had the fortune of meeting you. So I think it was a lot of different things. The long winded story sort of starts with, uh, unfortunately, my dad passing away uh, 2015. He had pancreatic cancer and from diagnosis to him passing was three weeks. So it happened really quickly. And and I think that was the beginning moment of, wow, how do I want to spend my life if it could end so quickly? And the cool thing about him was that when all of this was going down, he was like, well, this is a bummer, but I guess I've pretty much done everything I've wanted to do in my entire life other than go to Japan and climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I told him I would go to Japan. I did. I happened to be there on Thought Father's Day and I didn't even plan that. But it was the beginning of the end to be like, I have given so much of my life to television and I've loved it. I really enjoyed my career, but I had to give up so much because the, the dedication that it requires, I either would have to, if I was in somebody's wedding, I would have to negotiate if I could have the time off, which was generally no, or I couldn't take the job and I had to work another time and not work. So I think after a certain amount of time, I was like, what can I do? Do where I can be inspired and love what I do, but also be able to be there for the people in my life and even think about a hobby. Like, what a concept. Right. It took a really long time for me to actually make the pivot. And I think the pandemic helped with that a little bit because I think everybody sort of had this moment of realization of what's important to me. Yeah. And I think I worried that so many people would see my experience in working in reality TV and so many people make fun of reality TV that nobody would take me seriously. And I worried that nobody would see, you know, everything that I had mm. accomplished as anything that they would be, you know, see as useful. And, um, you know, obviously I was just getting in my own way there, but I was lucky to have a colleague from television make that pivot before me. And I saw that she had changed jobs and I was like, what are you doing? Um, yeah, yeah. And she was kind enough to hop on Zoom with me and sort of walk me through the, her transition into recruiting. 
And it was through a high school friend of hers that they had stayed in contact with. And similarly, she and her husband met on a show, worked together a ton. She was a producer. He was the director of photography. And then she got pregnant and she was on the road a ton. And she was like, this is unsustainable for me as a parent. Um, So she made the transition into recruiting and offered to tell me about it and then thought, we had worked together on The Biggest Loser before in casting and then had done some producing together. Yeah. And she said, I think you'd be great at this. And I had never thought of it. I had never thought of recruiting. I knew nothing about the tech world. Yeah. And this was just really like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I spoke with um, our managing director uh, at my company. I spoke with the CEO and I spoke with my manager now in sales who convinced me that I should be placing salespeople. And he was right. I love salespeople. Yeah. Um So but they really took a leap, I think, in hiring me because, like you said, I knew nothing about tech. And the job of casting a reality show is actually very similar to being a recruiter. But, um, you know, if I'm working on one show and I'm casting a reality show, I only need to know about that one show. So if I'm casting for Netflix has nailed it, I'm going to be asking them about baking and only baking. But now as an agency recruiter in the beginning when the market was so high, you know, maybe there was 20 different clients. And so I had to sell them on all these different opportunities, not only know what I was talking about, but also be able to evaluate them in a way that would make it sense where if I was pitching them to our clients and the hiring managers that I was doing that with confidence. So the first couple of months were just a whirlwind. And I I was very overwhelmed, but again, just so grateful that I was given this opportunity that I just threw myself into it. And, um, you know, I connected with high school friends who worked in tech and, you know, prior to getting this job, I had no idea what their title meant. It was like Chandler yeah. on Friends, you know, where I was like, uh, what do you do? You're like, what's um, a product manager? <laughs> yeah. And now what's a data I, scientist? Yeah. yeah. All of it. And now I actually have a monthly Zoom with some high school friends who all work in tech. And now I've been the catalyst to get us all together. And now we chit chat about our different jobs in tech once a month now. What a great way to have a brain share. It's uh, and it's so wonderful to connect with these people that I've now known in some cases since, you know, middle school. Yeah. Um, so the key to even my success in television has been networking. And even from the first person who hired me, who even just getting into television was hard enough. But I recognize that if one person hired me, they would see what I was capable of, capable of yeah. and introduce me to other people. Yeah. So that's basically how I survived having a freelance career because nobody was looking out for me other than me. So I right. had to be so good that people would want to continue hiring me over and over and over again. And I had people looking out for me. So when I, you know, wanted uh I was excited with what I did with casting, but a mentor said, "Okay, now what next?" and I got yeah. into producing and I did some post-production and it was somebody who was saying, I see the potential in you, Yeah, which feels so good. It feels so good. I mean, you do that for so many people, Aww. but I know people have done that for you as well. And that's exactly how I feel in this career. Like my networking is also what's going to make me good at this job. But being able to be that hype person yeah. for not only the hiring managers, yeah. but sometimes it's scary to scale a sales team. And they yeah. maybe it's the first time they're doing this. But then for my candidates who maybe they've been through a layoff or one of my early candidates, she had taken time off to um, help her husband through cancer treatment. Yeah. And so she had a big gap, which in salespeople, if you have a big gap in your resume, some people don't want to look at you. And she felt like, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I said, we can find something for you. And we yeah. did. And when and she- And your smile when you say that. Oh, uh, when she got hired, we both cried, you know, and, and she was incredible and the hiring manager loved her and, um, you know, just a really phenomenal person. So 
I I feel really lucky to be able to essentially be a professional matchmaker. Yeah. And that's almost how I, how I want to see it because as people judge reality TV, people judge recruiters too. Yeah, I get true. it. <laughs> so yeah, so you applied to be part of the We Are LA Tech Experience Club and I'm like, I don't have recruiters in the experience club. <laughs> and I get it. And I was listening to you and I'm very specific on the culture in which I allow into the We Are LA Tech Experience Club, which is like collaboration and, um, you know, working to like a true love for celebrating and elevating others. And I heard in your energy and your voice and the words that you were using, how sincere and thoughtful you were about your facilitating connection within the, the job world. And you, I feel like if all recruiters were you, recruiters wouldn't have a bad name. Well, that's flattering. You know? And so you are our you are our token recruiter. <laughs> You're our only recruiter. And I'm very proud of it. I think even with your experience in the casting world and being exposed to all those business shows and the types of people, that brought so much value to everything too. And the way you the relationship you have with the candidates you place now, I mean, it's just so beautiful. You like I said, I see it in front of you when you're telling the story about that one woman and all the other people that you help. I saw it right in between recording, you looked at an email and and you were like, oh, my gosh, I really want to do my best for for this person. Your heart is so deeply enmeshed into you're really just helping people in the deepest way possible. And then it happens to be called this word recruiting <laughs> that a lot of people like roll their eyes at. But I, I just think you're so much more than that. And I think a lot of people think you're so much more, which is how you've attracted this really fucking popular um, networking event in the tech world called SoCal Tech Monthly. I mean, that it's just you just had 70 people show up, like actually show up last night. How many people RSVP? Like 115. So the the ratio of show up is really I mean, it's just it's astounding. And my favorite thing about you, you don't have Instagram. You don't have Twitter. You know, you don't do social media. You have LinkedIn. Yeah. But you don't even promote it on LinkedIn, really. Right? I'm terrible at LinkedIn. I need to get better. But yeah. Yeah. You just created an event, right? <laughs> And I just think you have the gift. <laughs> and so tell us about SoCal Tech Monthly. So, well, I did the summer series with you at We Are LA Tech, and that was so transformative for me. It gave me so much confidence because um, my company has been so wonderful to me, but I was still having some imposter syndrome of like, oh, like, how could I possibly advise hiring managers yeah. when I'm so new at this? And yeah. what do I have to offer? And it's sometimes I forget that the you know as you said the experience that i've had previously does translate over and i need to recognize that like if i can tell a boss on undercover boss hey this is what we're doing yeah. and this episode is a 42 minute commercial of your company totally and you and your employees so please let's 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 work together you know i'm going to learn your company in 3 weeks and in three weeks of research, sometimes I knew more about their employees, what they did on a day to day basis than they did. Yeah. And so I have to remind myself because I know we all struggle with imposter syndrome. I struggle with imposter syndrome. I did about this. I yeah. I, I think I've said no the first time because <laughs> I was like, oh, why would you possibly want to talk to me? Um, yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> so much. It's frustrating. <laughs> but I saw your, you know, your faith in me. And that gave me faith in myself. Aww. But anyways, so I joined the We Are LA Tech Summer Series and it really 
made me better at my job and made me a more fulfilled human. And we were at uh, Jenny and John's house that one night and the series was ending and my heart was just sinking, thinking about it being over. It felt yeah. like camp. Or, you and know? <laughs> Jenny, Jenny and John are these amazing people in the We Are Light Tech community mm. that um, collaborated with We Are Light Tech to do a wine and s'mores night. Mm. It was amazing. It was a wonderful yeah. evening. Yeah. And I really had that moment at that e that evening. There was like a late night crew there. And I thought, I don't want this to be over. But also you had done enough. You oh, know yeah. what I, mean? I was about <laughs> to like fall off and sleep and hibernate for months. <laughs> the summer series was magical and incredible. And I just I didn't want to put any pressure on you. And I thought, well, I, you know, I've created casting calls where 5,000 people have showed up. Yeah. I, I think I can do this. And so I'm lucky in that my uncle has a restaurant. And so I just called him and said, what's your slowest night? Can I have an event there? Yeah. He said, yeah, sure. You know, he didn't know what he was getting into. Yeah. I spoke with my manager at work who she used to do events up in, in the Bay. She said, put it on Eventbrite. I said, OK. And yeah. we sent it out to the folks who had been in the We Are LA Tech summer series. Yeah. And was mostly just selfishly. It was like, I miss you people and I want to <laughs> see you again. And I I want to know that there's a monthly opportunity for yeah. that. I wanted to continue on what you had lovingly created. And I wanted to be an offshoot of that where you it required you to do nothing because you have done enough. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you have added so much to our lives. So but all of it, again, was selfish because I wanted to know more people in tech because yeah. other than my extremely supportive boyfriend, I don't know anybody in tech or I yeah. didn't know anybody in tech. So my uncle's restaurant is incredible. So it, that it helps. Michael's. Yeah, yeah. Michael's in Santa Monica on third. Um, he also has one in, in New York. So maybe we need to do a New York faction. <laughs> you know, he was kind enough to give me the space and it's perfect space because they have a great happy hour. They have a great lounge. But yeah, I just put it on Eventbrite. I have done almost no uh, publishing about it. I think yeah. my company has promoted it once. I've promoted it maybe twice. You've promoted it. But then it's just created. I think there was maybe... I don't know, less than 20 people there, but it was all people from We Are LA At the Tech. first one. At the first. Yeah. And so that was in September of last year. And then, so it's been about six months now. We took December off for the holidays. And yeah, it's been selling out the last couple of months. More than selling out. <laughs> she messages me. She's like, oh my gosh, I think I might need to switch venues. I'm like, don't switch venues. <laughs> just like stay with what's working. It's but like, people just keep finding it. It's uh, so great. And so great. We'll eventually, I want to evolve it to so it can be the most efficient and most useful for the people who come. But it's very casual. I want people to enjoy conversations with one another. We have people who are wanting to get into tech. We have people who are wanting to pivot like me. Yeah. It's not um, like a creepy, grimy place where people are trying to like get no. deals done. I don't think you know this because I didn't even think to tell you. I met someone at your event, Sam. Do you know this already? I don't know. She's amazing, Samantha. And then we ended up hanging out at this other girl's event um, later on that turned out to be great. And then she came and she even helped me set up for the Restore Gathering, the We Are Tech Restore Gathering. That, and that was like, she's been great. She like, And that was all meeting her at your thing. No, I mean, I've I've recently heard about a bunch of people, you know, connecting and there was somebody who was wanting to, to transition into tech. There was somebody who was wanting to transition yeah, into yeah. tech, but she has built websites for a number of people who she's met at the, the networking events. And that's everything I could have wanted and more. I mean, 
I how I came to we are LA Tech is how I come to these happy hours. I uh, I, I don't personally need anything out of it. Uh, obviously, if people are scaling their sales team or other go to market functions, I want them to think of me and my company. But hundred percent. But I'm not doing it for that purpose. Yeah. Because I know that there are people like me who just need a community that I've found in We Are LA Tech, and I wanted to spread the wealth. How would you recommend? I've heard so many people say, "I can't." start anything. I'm no one. I'm too small. I'm this and that. Now that you are quickly becoming a very successful community builder, what would you recommend to someone who wants to create community but feels like they don't have connections, they don't have a social following, that they may feel imposter syndrome, like I'm not important enough? What would you tell that person? I think it's like with anything else. If that's something that you want to do or you feel like it's missing, if it's missing for you, it's absolutely missing for other people. Mm. I uh, you know, I don't see myself as a community builder, although I suppose that's what's happening. Um, I selfishly wanted to ingratiate myself into a new industry. And uh, to be honest, I never felt a part of the entertainment industry, even though I was part of it for almost two decades. I have been more welcomed by the L.A. tech scene yeah. in a year and a half than I ever was in television. Wow. And so I think you just have to start it. I mean, I was lucky in that I had a base of people that I was going to reach out to the We Are LA Tech, you know, summer yeah. session people. And I was lucky that my uncle gave me a venue. Yeah. But I have now done um, I'm, I'm now going to start a, a, an Orange County faction of this. And I spoke with somebody this week where he was a potential candidate and I didn't have any opportunities that aligned with what he was looking for. But I was telling him about the L.A. Um, happy hour. And he said, would you consider doing something in the O.C.? I have the perfect venue, venue for it. And even though we had literally just met half an hour yeah. earlier, we were now collaborating on another event. So cool. So it's just opening yourself. And for me, I think it's about having the right attitude, but also yeah. the right perspective. Like, yeah. I don't want anything from anyone else other other than them to, to feel included. Yeah. And so at all the happy hours, I see myself as a matchmaker. And I had somebody interview or, you know, email me this past week that said, I am a student and I have never networked before and I'm so terrified. What do I wear? And yeah. first of all, I'm so happy that he reached out because that takes courage in of itself. And to even come to any of these events, it takes courage. Yeah. I recognize that. And so I said, it's casual as long as you're not in flip flops and shorts, but it's a you're rainy good. day in LA. Don't do that anyways. You know, and I said, come meet me and I will introduce you to people there. And I emailed him the day after and I said, how'd it go? You survived. Mm -hmm. And he said, it went really well yeah. and I'm, I'm going to come again. And so I try to facilitate as much as I possibly can where it's like, oh, tell me a little bit about you. What are the types of people that you want to meet tonight? Yeah. So this past week we had two founders of a flying car and they were in town from the UK. Amazing. And there was another robotics founder and I was like, oh, you have to meet. Um, and my boyfriend was happy to talk to both of them as well. <laughs> and it's really just become this community. Love. I, I talk to candidates from the LA area and I tell them to come. And um, at the end of the event this week, there was like a coven of the salespeople who were chit-chatting with each other. There was no competitiveness. There was community and support. And it was that's everything I want for and more. And I think a really important note is people aren't coming for the free pizza because there's not free pizza. Everybody pays their own way. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we think that we have to provide this whole extravaganza in order for people to show up. And what I really respect about the SoCal Tech Monthly Series 
series is that like, no, you have the space and you have the culture of what you've created and everyone's paying their own way. No one's like trying to get something just for the free pizza. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's probably been a couple of people along the way who are irritated that there's no free food. And I know that that's why they're there. And they could leave. A hundred percent. And I haven't seen them again. And you yeah. know what? I'd prefer Great. not to. Yeah. You know, there's... They're there um, for the wrong reasons. Right. Because uh, the food is honestly amazing. Uh, and the drinks are amazing. And you don't have to order anything. You could just have water. And that yeah. honestly is fine by me. And yeah. it's even fine by my uncle. Because for them, they... They now look forward to the events and yeah, they your s- uncle must love you. <laughs> well, they're staffing up for that specific day. So it's the second Wednesday so of every crazy. month. And they're like, oh, I guess we got to have more people because it, there's going to be a lot of people now. But, you know, somebody balked at me because the bread is nine dollars. But I love the bread and and the butter is from France because my <laughs> uncle is a legitimately amazing yeah. chef and he has the best of qualities. So but again, you don't have to order the $9 bread and butter if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, and I think this all all this stuff, especially as I'm continually evolving in my career, they're all filtering systems. If you have someone concerned about bread being $9 or about concerned about there not being free pizza, these are beautiful filtering systems that they are not the right culture fit for what you're creating. Because quite frankly, driven people committed to their careers in the tech world are either going to get the water or order the bread and it's like not even something that they're thinking about. Yeah. They just are there to show up and create quality relationships that really nourish their lives. 100%. And I mean, when I talk to candidates about what's important to them in their next job, we talk about culture a lot. And one of the phrases that I've come up with is, I'm so thankful that with tech companies, the culture is not ping pong tables and free snacks. Because as you said, if you are a successful person, you can find somebody to go play ping pong with and you can get your own snacks. You know, <laughs> it's really about support yeah. and encouragement. And if things aren't going well, does yeah. somebody have a plan for you? Yeah. And if for whatever reason something happens in your life, is it okay for you to take time off? Yeah. And also, do you care about this product? Do you care about the people that you're yeah. talking to every day? Yeah. So I think I've also learned a lot about from the amazing clients that I've had the opportunity to work with in the last year-ish. Yeah. Because they have redefined what culture means because culture for me in the entertainment business, specifically in unscripted and reality where the budgets are minute. Yeah. People think that maybe I made a lot of money in television. No, ma'am, uh-huh. I did not. Um, I didn't do it for that, but you I got that clout. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, yeah, because there were free snacks or a crafty table. I was meant to, you know, work 18 hour days yeah. and never have a day off. Don't be fooled. I can get my own snacks now and I am very fine. Yeah. And the beauty of last year was me now in my 40s. I've had paid time off for the first time in my life. Yeah. I've had benefits that I didn't have to pay for myself. Yeah. I I have a 401k for the first time. Yeah. You know, all these things that I didn't think that I needed. It's a, it's a bit of stability that I just never anticipated. So cool. And I, you know, my boyfriend laughed at me when I was, we were about to take our first vacation and I was about to request my first PTO. And it was, mind you, five months into me working and I still was like, oh my God, I feel, I just can't even believe that I'm asking for a a paid day off. Yeah. Um, I said, what's, you know, what's PTO? Like that's his joke to me, you know, where he was like, you were living in an alternate universe (laughs) where you were never supported. And yeah. in some cases, I have had a lot of wonderful cultural experiences in television, but it was freelance. So that job would end and then I'd have to do yeah. four other crappy shows just yeah. to pay the bills. Right. 
And listen, you know, tech is in a challenging moment right now in terms of the marketplace and the economy. But I feel like I can be useful to people who are needing to find jobs, even if it's not an opportunity that I'm representing. Yeah. And I think what you just said, I think we could all be useful to one another. I think that's the ethos. It's not about being transactional. Yeah. It's just about being collaboratively useful to one another. Like just enhance each other's lives so everyone wins. So everything's a win-win. And I think that's what you're talking about in creating an event. If you want to create an event, like one, know the ethos of the event you're creating. Genuinely have a need yourself that you're looking to satiate. So it comes from the really right, genuine place. Understand what your filtering processes are. So you have people that are the right culture fit. Have a stable place that you could create a reputable habit to come show up. They're coming to Michael's in Santa Monica and having this amazing experience. And it's consistent at the same um, cadence, the same frequency every month. Like all these things are what have you know, you just creating the event pride in the first place, like doing the thing, <laughs> like all of these things are what led to you creating SoCal Tech Monthly. And how can people find out about it? How can they stay plugged in? Um, I, I like you said, I'm I'm uh, not a social media maven. I have the opposite of that. So find me on LinkedIn. I, I po post about it there. I need to post more often. You've been uh, reminding me that I should take photos I because know, people she are... doesn't take photos at any of these. I it's know. crazy. I know. I'm not a good promoter. Um, but what I will say is I'm also learning from people like you and another community that I feel grateful to be a part of, Thursday Night Sales. Um, the leader there, specifically Amy Volas, she posts every day and I... I'm obsessed with her as I'm obsessed with you. Oh. And I learn so much. And it's about the community that you've built and that she has built. And I am basically just a, uh, I'm attempting to replicate that in my own way. And so let, let's give everyone either your email or your LinkedIn. So if they want to go, they have an easy way yeah. to figure out when it is. <laughs> um, they could also search for it on Eventbrite if you search yeah. um do they search your name or SoCal Tech Monthly? You may not even SoCal know. SoCal Tech Monthly. Um, okay. Yeah. And Shannon. Yeah. Um, what's another way to contact you? LinkedIn preferred, email preferred? What's best Yeah, LinkedIn you? is perfect. Just okay. look me up. Shannon McCarty at RJR Partners. That's the company that I work for. I'm a practice director is my can title. Can you spell your, your name as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. So the LinkedIn thing, if, if you toggle it at the end, it's Shannon E. McCarty. So if you do like LinkedIn tad, uh, you know, slash yeah. that. So it's S-H-A-N-N-O-N. E-M-C-C-A-R-T-Y. It's McCarthy without the H. I like to say that. We're all related, but that's my actual name. Um, so Shannon E. McCarty is the tag at the end. Yeah, DM me. I, I love people finding me. And um, I, I'm sorry that I don't have a, leather, a, a, a larger, uh, you know, social media presence. But I'm not sorry. I think people that sometimes don't lean into social media have a more full life. You know, I that's how we found people for reality TV was Instagram. So last year I realized I no longer needed Instagram and I deleted it from my phone and I am a happier human because of it. And I used to need it, yeah. you know, but that was also a crutch. But then I would just be like scrolling mindlessly. Right. And it's not that I don't scroll mindlessly on LinkedIn now, but at least now I'm learning something. Yeah. I mean, I really get so much out from from uh, other people because I'm still learning about this. Yeah, I know yeah. I, I know I bring a lot to the table. That's what I'm I, I'm willing to admit. <laughs> but I still have so much to learn and yeah. grow. Yeah. And I, I will say the beauty about tech is that it's constantly evolving. And so people are OK with not everybody knowing everything all the time. Totally. 
Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Definitely say hello on social, at Women in Tech Show, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you, talk to you, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. This is Shannon McCarty. I work for RJR Partners. I'm a software sales recruiter based in Los Angeles, California, and you are listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.